Welcome to History Bites. This is a podcast about the past. Bites of history in all flavours. I'm Alison Lloyd. This is the very first episode. So we are going to go a long way back to the beginning of Australia's history. Back to explosions, extinctions, man-eating marsupials, and how our land got to be right here. Our story does not start with Captain Cook, nor with Aboriginal Australians. It doesn't even start with giant wombats, although you will meet them in this episode, along with some dinosaurs and other impressive beasts. The upside-down story of Down Under starts with a piece of land that went for a swim. This piece had been joined up with the rest of the world in one giant continent called Pangaea. But 200 million years ago, half of it came loose. It broke up and took itself away. We call that half now Gondwana. At the time, it wasn't known as anything since nothing there could talk. Humans don't come into the picture until a lot later. The pieces of Gondwana didn't float exactly. They more like rumbled and shifted. Very, very slowly. They moved south at just a few centimetres a year. A big chunk of Gondwana came to rest down near the South Pole. It was very dark in winter. There was no sunshine for up to four months a year there. Yet Gondwana was anything but empty. It was like a zoo of amazing animals and plants. The land was covered in forests of pine trees and ferns and moss. It wasn't quite like Jurassic Park if you've seen the movie because the Jurassic period was just about over when Gondwana went south. There were no Tyrannosaurus or Triceratops here. But don't be disappointed. Reptiles still ruled. There were definitely dinosaurs down under, and they were like nowhere else on Earth. Australia had some truly outstanding beasts, so let me introduce you to a few of them from the safe distance of a few million years. The oldest Australian dinosaur is Osraptor, which lived about 170 million years ago. Its shin bone was found by a group of school kids much, much later. And from that bone, scientists can tell that it was probably a fast runner and ate meat. Leolinosaura was the smallest Australian dinosaur, which is kind of appropriate because it's actually one of the few dinosaurs that is named after a child, the daughter of the scientists who discovered it in Victoria. It was about a metre long and only 40 centimetres high. That's about the size and weight of a human toddler, but it lived 110 million years ago. At the other end of the size scale, that is the large end is an unknown sauropod, which left behind the world's biggest footprint, near a beach in the north of Western Australia. The footprint is 1.7 metres wide, which means its foot was big enough to squash an adult human underneath. 
but at least it didn't eat adult humans, it ate trees. From Australia's biggest meat eater, or carnivore, we have only one piece left, just one long curved claw. About 110 million years ago, that claw belonged to a seven metre monster, chasing its prey around the country. Now, if you hold the fossil up to the light, it flashes as if there are sparks of lightning inside. That's because the claw has turned into opal, a kind of multicoloured precious stone. It was found at Lightning Ridge in New South Wales, and that's how the claw got its name, Lightning Claw. It's kind of funny that even though dinosaurs are Australia's oldest animals, scientists are still discovering new ones. So even as you listen to this, you might be sitting above the bones of some fantastic undiscovered creature from the deep, dark past. Later, dinosaurs had to share Gondwana with much smaller creatures like fish, cockroaches, fleas, crabs and water beetles. All these creatures got along together until about 85 million years ago. Then New Zealand broke away and went to seek its fortune by itself. And around 65 million years ago, the whole world was hit by a huge and mysterious change. What was this? Dinosaurs became extinct. Not just down under, but all across the world. Nobody knows exactly why. But it was probably because a meteorite crashed into the earth near Mexico, blowing mountains of the earth's crust sky high. Also, a volcano in India blew up. A real double whammy. The disappearance of the dinosaurs doesn't seem to have bothered the other animals too much. They just took over the ecosystem. By 55 million years ago, the pieces of Gondwana were home to frogs, birds, bats, bandicoots and crocodiles. Not too long after that, the zoo took off again. The land we now call Australia waved goodbye to Antarctica and moved back north. Not exactly to where it is now, but fairly close. Actually, Australia is still on the move. You probably haven't noticed because we're not in a hurry. If you're in school, we've moved less than half a metre since you were born. At this point which if you've lost track was 45 million years ago, nothing that looked like a human had disturbed the world anywhere yet. But some of the animals on this new continent would have looked a bit familiar to you. They were like modern Australian animals, but with a big difference. Their size. We call them megafauna, which means super-sized animals. Like dinosaurs, they often have supersized names as well. There was Zaglossus hacketi, which was a sheep-sized echidna. It had a sticky tongue, 
seven times as long as yours. It used to stand on its back legs and use its nose and claws to get into termite mounds. Or there was also Sthenurus, a three-metre-long kangaroo that stood higher than a human and probably walked rather than hopped. Anthropornis nordenskjöli was a penguin, as tall as a person and a lot heavier. It wandered around down under 40 million years ago. And the largest marsupial ever was Diprotodon, a two-ton ball of fur that looked a bit like a bear and a bit like a wombat and ate plants. It had a big head with a knobbly bony bit in the front, but most of its skull was empty, so it had a very small brain, a bit like Winnie the Pooh. And those were just the plant eaters. In Western Australia, there's a place called Tight Entrance Cave. The cave is near a river. So there would have been lots of juicy animals in the area. You can only get in and out of the cave by climbing through a hole in the roof. Thousands of claw marks are still on the walls. Big ones and baby ones. Some of the claw marks are as high as three metres off the floor. If you had been adventurous enough, or silly enough, to enter the cave 50,000 years ago, you would not have made it out. The cave was a perfect den for a family of giant marsupial lions. <coughs> to find out more about the thylacoleo, as scientists call it, I went to Melbourne Museum and talked to Tim Ziegler who is an expert in Australia's ancient animals. So come with me in your imaginations. Let's take a look inside the mouth of the marsupial lion. This is one of the largest tooths in an Australian marsupial. It's about nearly as long as your thumb. And that curving, I guess, almost semicircular arc there would have met with another one that looks very similar in the upper jaw to make a really powerful bite. What Thylacoleo, the marsupial lion, has turned its molars into are giant shearing blades. And at the front, these lower incisors would have been matched by another pair above that would have been like a set of bolt cutters, grasping and holding on. The marsupial lion in Australia, which died out tens of thousands of years ago, it was about as big as, say, a bull mastiff or a leopard, 60 to 80 kilos. Yes. That was the largest marsupial carnivore in Australia. It may have been living here the same time that people first arrived on the continent. It had a bite force that we would compare to things living today, like great white sharks, like wow. American alligators, like brown bears. This is extremely powerful. Yeah. Along with... A fairly scary set of teeth. Thylacoleo also had a huge amount of muscle in its body. It wasn't a fast runner. It didn't live down on the plains the way a North American wolf does. It had quite long, quite muscular front limbs, and along with that, quite large and flexible hands, including posable thumbs. Those thumbs have retractable claws. <laughs> That's very cool. The true drop bear. It probably dragged its dinner back up into the trees, like leopards still do, 
to keep it out of the reach of other creatures, such as Quincana fortorostrum, which was a land crocodile. Not as heavy as a saltwater croc, but it made up for that in speed on hoof-like feet. Or Megalania prisca, a gigantic one-ton goanna with teeth serrated along one edge like a steak knife. And then there was also Propliopus oscillans, a giant rat kangaroo as heavy as a small child. And Wanambi narracortensis lurked beside waterholes or hid in rocky areas to ambush its prey. It was a six-metre-long python with a head the size and shape of a shovel and hundreds of tiny teeth. Fortunately, you don't need to worry about lions on your way to school. But one prehistoric predator nearly made it to the modern day. Tasmanian tigers, or thylacines, were striped animals that looked a bit like a dog or a wolf. They had a tail like a kangaroo and carried up to four cubs in a pouch on their stomach. Thylacines could open their jaws wider than a great white shark, to 120 degrees. At least 10 species of thylacines hunted in the forests down under. They disappeared from the mainland about 3,300 years ago, probably because they didn't get on with dingoes. But thylacines lived alongside Tasmania's original people for 35,000 years, until in less than 300 years, Europeans hunted them to extinction. The last one died in Hobart Zoo in 1936. Although some people say that they have seen thylacines alive since. Apart from these predators, Down Under was quite peaceful for millions of years. For a long, long time, there were no humans around for the megafauna to munch on. It wasn't until 100,000 years ago that scientists believe our ancestors, modern human beings, walked out of Africa. They were on their way to conquer the world. And that's where we're going to pause the story for now. This episode was based on the first chapter of the Upside Down History of Down Under. Actually, the book is even better than the podcast because A, there's more of it, and B, it's illustrated by the fun, fabulous and famous Terry Denton. Hi, this is Terry Denton. I want to welcome you to our new book, The Upside Down History of uh, Down Under which tells all the good and bad things about Australian history. And there's lots of laughs for everybody. Hope you enjoy it. If you want to read the book, ask for The Upside Down History of Down Under by Alison Lloyd and Terry Denton at a library or a bookshop or go online and have a look for it there. You can find more History Bites on my website www.alisonloyd.com.au and you can also contact me there and let me know what you thought of today's History Bite. So until next episode, it's time to say goodbye.